Who's ready for the sermon? I am. So, if you were talking to someone, a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a co-worker, and in the discussion, your discussion turned to your faith in Jesus, what would you want to tell the person? That's what I want you to think about. What would you want to talk about? What would you want to tell them about? Because there's a lot of things you could say. You could talk about the good things that, that Christ followers do because of the love of Jesus, like help baby Polly, or like ship our container that we shipped to Ukraine, $50,000 worth of food in it. That's not counting all the money it costs to get, a, get there and all the... So, I mean, huge investment to a bunch of strangers because Jesus loves them. You could talk about that stuff. That'd be really kind of cool. You talk about Christian people do this kind of stuff. You could talk about your Christian beliefs and how that shapes your worldview on issues like why we should come alongside moms to rescue little kids like Pauly. You could talk about how Christians have always been the ones who help outcasts and help the downtrodden in society. All those things are true. You could talk about your church because Portview Church is kind of great, isn't it? Because we're what? We're who? We're people who care, and we are, you are. You could talk about your awesome church and our motto, people who care. You could talk about, um, about um, all the, the things at your church. You could talk about your pastors. You could talk about which one of your pastors you think is the best looking. I don't think you would talk about that. Mitch would get the award. We both pointed at Mitch. You could talk about the music and the worship. Do we not have a phenomenal worship team? Amen? We do. I mean, I just felt like I was in heaven this morning worshiping with our worship team. You could talk about all those good things. You could talk about a lot of good things. Now, I wonder what the earliest Christians would have talked about when they were with their friends or family members or coworkers. As we have been taking a fresh look into the book of Acts, which we've been doing all summer long, if you're visiting with us, all summer we've been taking the book of Acts, the history book of the New Testament church, and looking at it. As we look at the early church, we can get the answer to that question. We can find out from God's inspired word of the early church, written about the early church in the book of Acts, from Dr. Luke, we can find out what the early church thought was so important that they would talk about it and so important the Holy Spirit would see to it that that was recorded um, in Scripture, the divine word of God, for us 2,000 years later to read and to learn from. So what would those earliest Christians talk to someone about? So we have the answer. So what I did this week is I looked at every message I could find in the book of Acts where they were talking about their faith. And fortunately, we have a lot of like snippets of sermons and talks from people like Peter and Paul and Philip and James and Stephen that all were people who it recorded what they said to someone else about their crown. And, I, and so I took all of those and I... And I, I put them all down, and I looked for commonalities. What did they say? It was just, did this guy just always say one thing different than this guy? What I found was that they all almost said the same thing, and that as you look at all their messages, 
you really come up with four things that were repeated by most of them most of the time. Now remember, it only shows, sometimes it gives a snippet of what they say. Sometimes it gives a lot longer section of what they said. And so not all of them give a full extent. But as I looked at them, there were four things that stood out that, um, that were repeated over and over by all these different authors as they were explaining their faith, the Christian faith. Remember, brand new. These people, that Jesus had just come. And so Christianity was brand new. And so they're explaining their Christian faith to people who had never heard before, and they had just learned about. So I'm going to talk about these four things. And I think they give us a framework for us to be able to explain what is important to somebody else about our faith. But I think also beyond that, just personally, I think it helps us see what are the most important things that we should stand upon. And I'm going to say this, as I look at the four, I think we might be a little bit surprised because the things that they talked about were probably, possibly not the things that you and I tend to talk about. What they didn't talk about was which one of their pastors was the best looking. They didn't talk about their worship team. They didn't talk about their church at all. They didn't talk about um, their great classes or their building or anything like that. So are you ready to see what they did focus on, what they did talk about? Ready? Four things that kind of they all did. The first one is this. And this one was, is, is maybe the most, well, the second one's the most consistent, but this one is everywhere in it. And it's this. And I'll explain it so don't get freaked out by the, what I, how I say it first. Because you go, what do you mean? This. They put Jesus in his historical context. The first thing they did is they put Jesus in his historical contrast. It's really interesting in the book of Acts. Now, again, you've been challenged that you would read at least a chapter a day of Acts for the three months we're doing it through, through the summer. And if you do that right now, you're in your third time of going through the book of Acts. One chapter at a time. 30 days at a time, you're going through this book for your third time. And it's interesting that over and over, you've noticed, I noticed, that when they're telling others about Jesus, they told the story about who he was in relationship to history. Think about in Acts 7. We're going to go somewhere else in a minute, but think about Acts 7, because you probably, if you read it, that stands out to you. In Acts 7, when Stephen, before Stephen was killed for his faith, he was standing before the high priest and religious leaders explaining the Christian faith. They're going to condemn him. In a minute, they're going to kill him for it. And what's he start by? He's talking about Jesus, but what's he start his story with? He starts talking about Abraham and the patriarchs, the other founders of Judaism. And their, their, exile, their, their life into Egypt and their exile out of Egypt. He's telling the story of the people of Israel. He talks about Moses and Aaron and David and then Jesus. Highlighting the history of the nation of Israel. Stephen put Jesus in his historical context. He's basically trying to say this. Jesus isn't just some guy who gathered a following and did a bunch of miraculous things, and then was killed by the religious Jewish leaders. He's trying to explain this. No, Jesus is the climax of history. 
that Jesus is, is God and is God's divine plan from the very beginning of time. He's the climax of all of time, and he's with us through the end of time. In the early church, they wanted people to understand that God has an eternal plan and that God is working out his eternal plan, and the events that have happened are all part of the plan of God, and that in that plan of God, Jesus, who himself is God, is the central focus of this incredible eternal plan. And I want us to look how the Apostle Paul first um, explains this when he went on his very first missionary journey. The first messages as a missionary ever preached from Paul when he gets to the city of Antioch. So flip in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. Turn on your phone. Go to Acts 13. If I can find Acts 13. It's in the same place it was before. There it is. Acts 13. And we're going to actually kind of stay here because in Acts 13, Paul does such a job of including all of the four. So we're going to kind of come back here and we'll jump around a little bit. But we're going to start here and we have a pretty extended sermon here. And we're going to start by looking um, at the first part of it. So let's start in verse 16 and we'll read down to verse 25 to start with. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God. So it's important to stop right there for one second. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking for the national Israel, people from Israel, so Jewish people, and you who fear God. So non-Jews who are investigating the God of the, of the nation of Israel. And so it's, he's talking to all people here, men of Israel, and you who fear God. Listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them. I like that. He put up with them. In the wilderness. You ever feel like that as a parent? I put up with them. Put up with them in the wilderness. Verse 19, when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet Then he asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will from the descendants of of this man, according to the promise God has brought to Israel, a savior, Jesus And after John had proclaimed before his coming, um, after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he, but behold, one is coming after me, and the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Look at verse 23. From the descendants of this man from David, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. He's saying, Jesus is the Savior of mankind, who is the fulfillment of the 
promises of God, that God has this eternal plan that he's working out. David, Jesus rather, is the fulfillment of this plan. And who is Jesus? He's not just any guy. He's a descendant of King David who's in the line of all the other people from Israel. See, Jesus holds a particular place in history. He's connected to the past. All the fulfillment of God's promises, God's great eternal plan. He is, he is also the promise of the future. The one who will someday establish a new heaven and a new earth. And this is where they started when they talked to their friends and family and co-workers. They talked about putting Jesus in his historical place. Why is this so important? Why is it so important to us? Because Jesus, my friends, is not just some religious figure like other religious figures from history. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's divine plan. Jesus is the savior of mankind within the context of history. We can look at history and we can see all these things are talking about how God really has been working out his plan. We can say these were real people. Archaeologists can prove those. They were real people. These events really happened. And Jesus was a real man, really God who came as man. And that's what we can see. That's why over and over and over, the writers of Acts the first thing we see them doing is they give a history lesson. Matter of fact, if you want to um, understand your Old Testament in a snap college, look in Acts at some of these little mini history lessons. I remember in Bible college, in order to kind of get the highlights of the Old Testament, make sure I missed anything, I remember kind of basically trying to memorize Acts chapter 7. Because it's a history of the whole Old Testament. You want to kind of understand, get a snapshot of the whole Old Testament, what God was trying to accomplish, look in Acts Look at these messages and it says, hey, here's the overview of all of the Old Testament. Just told the highlights, highlight, 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 highlight. It's trying to show something. God has a plan. And archaeologists can can say, hey, that guy really lived. We found evidence of him. That person really lived. That city really existed. We find evidence. Jesus can really be trusted because he's a person of history who's fulfilling the plan of God. And friends, that has great implications to you and me also as we share with other people about the gospel. See, we can see ourselves then in the bigger plan. You can see yourself in God's eternal plan. That God's plan of providing a savior for mankind and God's plan of this whole unwrapping of everything includes not only David and Jesus, but according to the word of God, it includes you and it includes me. And that Jesus the Savior came for you and for me to rescue us. That you and I are also part of God's plan. So somebody you're talking to, you can let them see, listen, you're not just just a chance. You're literally important and God has a plan, global, eternal, massive plan, and you are part of the plan of God. See, the early Christians are wanting you and I to see, wanted their people that we're reading to see and people they're talking to see that we are not just random acts and accidents. No, God has a plan that he is working out in human history and we, you and me, are woven into the plan of God. Because of that, God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of you in this room today. So that's the starting place. When we look at the messages in the book of Acts, they start there. They just say the history 
of, of, of humankind focused on the nation of Israel. And we can see that we, they explain this is the pre, pre-predicted plan of God. And according to God's plan, we can say this is going to happen. This way. And it happened that way. And Jesus is a central figure. Jesus is, holds this place in history fulfilling the eternal plan of God. That God has this big plan and Jesus is the central figure. So that's how they started. Putting Jesus in his proper historical context. Then the next thing we see repeated from these early Christians in their messages recorded in the divinely inspired book of Acts is also about Jesus. It's this. They all emphasized Jesus' death and resurrection. A lot of times today, people emphasize Jesus' love and his teachings. They emphasize Jesus' death and resurrection. So after helping people understand that Jesus is part of a bigger picture, he's part of the divine history of, of God for mankind, then all of the portions of sermons and teachings found in Acts include that Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And let's see that back in Acts 13 again. We'll pick up where we stopped in verse 26. It says, brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those of you whom fear God. Again, it's for everybody. To us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him, meaning Jesus, nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every day, every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him, fulfilled the promises by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. Then they had, when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who, who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who, he had, who, who now um, witness to the people. They want us to understand who Jesus really is. He's a historical figure, but who is he beyond that? That he is the divine son of God who came to earth to give his life to rescue mankind. And he did that by dying in our place on the man and woman. The scripture says that as humans, we are guilty of sin since the first man and woman ever sinned. Humanity is guilty and Jesus came and he took that punishment upon himself on the cross. And then he rose from the grave after three days, breaking the power of the curse of sin and death that had held mankind since the day that sin entered the world. They're saying, listen, this is who Jesus is. This speaks to us. It says, guess what? We don't get to make up the Jesus that we think we we like. We say it all the time now. Well, he's just a good teacher. He's just a moral person. No. He is this historical God person who came in history according to the fulfillment of God's plan. And he is the one who came and died and rose again. That he really did die and he really did rose again. And he really is alive today. That's who Jesus is. They needed everyone to know, friends, what length God had gone to in his plan in order to rescue mankind. The Savior, according to what Peter said in chapter 3 of Acts, would suffer and die to rescue mankind. 
And this causes us to understand something, something I really think we need to know, that we really need to share with our friends and family, that mankind needs rescuing, that mankind needs saving. That's not necessarily a popular thought anymore. Mankind needs rescuing. Mankind needs saving. It causes us to see what God sees, that without a Savior, mankind is lost and cursed because of sin. Now, others may not see this. Others may not want to believe it or choose to believe it. Others may say that this is, there's no such thing as sin. And we hear that a lot lately. They may believe that they do not need any saving. They're fine just the way they are. And that's somebody's right to believe that. But that's not what's revealed in the scriptures through the early church. You can all day long say that's what I believe, but that's not what the word of God reveals. They knew people were lost in sin and needed a savior. And they came to know that Jesus is the savior. So as Peter says in the fourth chapter of Acts, in the 12th verse, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Only through Jesus. So the early church taught that Jesus is the one and only Savior of mankind. And that's why people got mad at them. And it was by his death and his resurrection that he saves us from the curse of sin and death. So they talked about Jesus a historical figure. They said that Jesus, that historical figure, is the one God who died and rose from the grave. And then the third, this leads us then to the third thing that those early Christians knew that they had to communicate. So that's why it's repeated over and over in Acts. And it's this, that everyone needs to turn from sin and turn to God. Everyone needs to turn from sin and turn to Jesus. See, that's a phrase that's continually repeated in Acts. Something like this. It happens to be in in chapter 3. It says it like this. Now turn from your sins and turn to God so you can be cleansed of your sins. There's a popular belief today. And it's growing in popularity in evangelicalism. It's called inclusionism. It means that the atonement of Christ is so strong that he died for all mankind and we believe it. But that applies to everybody so there's no need for anybody to have to come to Christ. They say, well, it's all because of Jesus. They say we're Christian. We believe it's because of someone in Christ. But, But a person doesn't have to come to God. They don't have to turn from sin and turn to God. I would challenge anybody who believes it to read the book of Acts and the messages for the early church because they almost all, in every snippet of the sermons that are recorded, say something along the lines of, now you turn from your sins and turn to God so that you can be cleansed of your sins. It says we have a responsibility in the situation. See, the first two points that they communicated were all about Jesus. His place in history and his ministry of breaking the curse of sin and death for mankind when he gave his life. Now the man rose from the dead. It's all about who Jesus is and what he's done. But now the message moves to what we must do in response. The first two points are what Jesus did, who he is. Now it moves to what we must do in response. You see, Jesus did die for the sins of all of mankind. 
But Acts points out over and over and over, but that it is then up to each person to then turn away from their life of sin, of self-ruled living, that's what sin is, and turn to God, it says, in order to have their personal sins forgiven. God enables us to do this by his grace. We couldn't do it on our own, but we still have to, according to his grace, make this decision and follow God. God has broken the power of sin that once held mankind captive when Jesus died in my place. It's broken. We know that. He did all that work. I love the words of John Wesley's great old hymn, For a Thousand Tongues to Sing. You like that song, that hymn? It says this and that. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed to me. Jesus did it. We see that he did it. But now, every one of us needs to respond to what he did by turning away from our self-ruled lives of sin and begin to follow Jesus as our God. God as our God. Remember, whose message is this? It's a message that Pastor Mark made up today. No, we're looking at the repeated, completely repeated message that was spoken by the early church over and over and recorded by Dr. Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, this is the message. It says you need to, yes, Jesus did it all, but you need to turn from sin and turn to God. Now understand, we can only do this because of God breaking the power of sin and empowering us by his spirit to respond. We're going to respond. He helps us to respond. He's the one who makes us able to respond. But by his empowering, we all need to turn from sin and turn to God. There's a message that needs to be understood today, and it's this. Coming to God does involve turning from sin. It does involve turning from sin. And that's I can't believe I live in a day when that's kind of being said it's not true anymore. Jesus has broken the strongholds and therefore we're set free. Now we must, in response, turn from the strongholds of sin. And way too often I hear people saying, hear people saying things, they say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian. And then they openly in, embrace actions and attitudes and beliefs that are clearly shown to be sin in Scripture. Friends, some things don't go, to ne- go together. You know that the term called an oxymoron. An oxymoron is two thoughts that can't, can't go together, right? Well, there's a lot of things that we need to think about today that are oxymorons. Greedy and Christian cannot go together. Unloving and Christian cannot go together. Sexually immoral and Christian cannot go together. Lying and Christian cannot go together. These things can't go. Now, there's forgiveness for these things, and there's a process of getting better, but the fact of the matter is, we on purpose, because the power of sin is broken, we now turn from sin, and we turn to God. It's repentance, changing direction. The Christian life has a starting point where you turn, and you say, now I'm following Jesus. Now he's God, and I'm not anymore. Friends, these things, these these oxymoron things, they can't go together. The message of Acts is saying, in light of discovering who Jesus is and what he has done for you, breaking the power of sin, now because you're set free, turn from sin and turn to God. Remember, we're not just turning from sin. We are turning to God. 
We now live our lives where we are followers. Say followers. Followers. That's what Christianity is. We don't have a, we're not answerers or doers. Those things are part of it. We are followers. We follow Jesus. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Our lives are given to becoming more like Jesus as Jesus is revealed in the scriptures. And it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to meeting the real Jesus. We turn from sin and we turn to Jesus. And that brings us to the final of our four points that we see so often repeated in the early church through the book of Acts. And it's the result of the response. So the last one was the response to the message of who Jesus is. This is the result of the response. That if we respond to Jesus by turning from sin and turning to him, then we find forgiveness and eternal life. I love how Paul says it in Acts 13, 38, and 39. He says, brothers, listen. I like it's, it's brothers, listen, exclamation point. Brothers, listen. He'd say, port view, listen. In this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness of your sins. And everybody says, amen. Everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God. It's the power of the cross. It says, but how's it, what's the beginning of the sentence? Everyone who believes in him is freed from all guilt and declared right with God. That's the result of our response to Jesus. When we believe in him, we put our trust in him and follow in his footsteps, then we are forgiven and freed. The forgiveness is available before that, but it's received when we turn to him and put our trust in him. Then we are forgiven and we are freed from the guilt of sin and declared right from, with God. And friends, there's nothing greater because guess what? It doesn't say we still won't mess up. It doesn't say we still won't have problems. It doesn't say we still might have a life that looks like an oxymoron at times. We just choose not to live in that. And when we do, we recognize that, you know what? I am forgiven because I am follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. I am right with God is what it says in the scriptures. That there's no barriers between us and God when we come to Jesus for salvation. There's no more any barriers That sin's guilt has been canceled. Now we are right with God. Now we are in right relationship with God because Jesus is our Savior and His Spirit dwells within us. So now we are in a right relationship. It is now Father-Child. It is now Savior-Saved. It is now lost, has become found. It is now I lived in darkness. Now I'm in light. That's the Christian life that's offered as the result of the response to God. Friends, that's the message of the early church. We are freed from the guilt of sin and made right with God by turning to trusting in Jesus. And who is Jesus according to their messages? The one at the center of God's plan for all of humankind. The son of God who was crucified and rose from the dead to break the power of sin and death. It's in him we turn to and follow when we turn from the old life of self-willed sin, and we turn to him and we follow him. That's the message of the early church. Jesus 
in its historical context. Jesus crucified and risen. Jesus, the one who we turn to from sin. Jesus, who forgives and makes us right with God. That's the message our world still needs to hear today. People in in our generation still, even if they don't believe it, still need to turn from sin and turn to God through Christ. Because that's the plan of God. The thing I want you to be thinking about as we wrap up our time together today is be honest with you. This is an eternal matter. This is the most eternal matter. This is way more important than your 401k and way more important than the, than the brewers or the packers. This is way more important than anything else. Have you honestly come to the point where you've said, I, am, I recognize who Jesus really is? He is the one that's the fulfillment of the divine plan of God. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the son of God who has come and he gave his life. He died and he rose from the dead and he's alive today. And you said, I have already turned from sin to follow him imperfectly. Because we're all imperfect. But you've turned from sin to follow him. And you've received eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. The day you began giving that out, which is still an ongoing process, he's still just as involved in it as the day you began. The day you, it began before you even knew it began. But there was a day that you responded and said, I'm going to become a follower. Because if you aren't sure about that, I would tell you today, the most important eternal decision you can ever make. If you're watching online, the most important eternal decision you can ever make is to say yes to Jesus and turn and follow him. And the Jesus, who's the Jesus of the Bible, it's, it's aside, following him says, I'm going to live with, within the revealed word of God. Not my own way, the revealed word of God. Because this is how God communicates to us primarily through what he's inspired. You need to ask yourself, have you honestly done that? Let's just close our eyes for a minute. Bow our heads. Because if the early church, if we were sitting in an early church and it was Paul or it was Peter, and he was explaining this message, they would say without a doubt, do you want to become a follower? If you're not a follower yet, do you want to become a follower? The way we become followers. I'd ask you today, you are not a follower of Jesus but today you're saying I want to first of all understand this the only reason you'd even say you want to is because the spirit of God in this place is speaking to your soul right now the spirit of God as you're watching online is speaking to your soul right now say I'm ready to be a follower which means turning it means turning away it doesn't mean this is why I've been so sure so clear about it today it does not mean it's adding Jesus on top saying you can still believe whatever you want to believe whatever is culturally relevant of the day that you you don't get that choice God has revealed what God has revealed and you say you know what I'm going to follow Jesus I'm going to walk in his way as it's revealed by God himself through Christ. 
you say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready to become a follower. I'm ready to turn, change directions. I'm ready to become a follower. If that's you today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to be a private moment. I'm the only guy looking around. But I want you to, t- I want you as a, as a action of your turning, I want you to raise, I'm not going to call you out. I want you to raise up your hand as high as you can. And I'm, when I see it, I'm going to say, I'll tell you to just put it back down so I can say, so go ahead right now. You say, I want to become a follower of Jesus today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you see us in this place. Lord, you know what you are doing in our hearts. And we say this, Lord, from today, today, from today forward. We want to be your followers. From today forward, we, we make an action right now in our hearts. We say, I'm turning. I'm turning from my, my own run life. And I'm going to walk as a follower of Jesus. Today, I say yes to that, to you. And Lord, I pray for every person who's saying yes. That Lord, you would so fill them with your presence. All of us, Lord, so fill us with your presence that we would not feel like we're ever walking alone. But that, Lord, you would guide us and direct us by your Spirit. And that, Lord, you would, you would help us every day become more like Jesus as, as just junk falls away and you replace it with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness gentleness and self-control. You fill us with the fruit of your Spirit. So Lord, we love you today. Now as we're just praying, I'm going to challenge you to keep your eyes closed for me because I want you to think. Who is the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind he would want you to explain the simple message to. Who do you work with? Parent. What relative is coming to your mind? What child or parent is coming to your mind? Right now, just in the depth of your heart, the quietness of the moment. Just tell the Lord. Lord, if, if you'll give me an opportunity, I'll do my best to share this simple message that changes the world with who you put on my heart right now. Lord, we look forward to hearing the stories in the next days and weeks and months of us having the opportunity to just tell other people this simple message. We don't have to celebrate. It's not about celebrating ourselves. It's not about saying we're good or bad. It's all about you. Who you are, what you've done, and what happens in us when we return to you. Let's stand together, church. The worship team begins to sing. I just invite you just to spend some time just listening to the Lord, worshiping the Lord. If you'd like prayer, uh, myself and our, and our, our designated prayer team will be down here to pray with you.
come and we'd love to pray with you. If you have questions, come and ask. And let's just spend a few minutes in worship as we wrap up our time together.